0: Welcome to episode seven of the Paradox PT podcast, where we discuss all things physiotherapy, rehabilitation, and clinical practice. Today, I'm speaking with Laura Hughley. Laura wears many hats. She is an, a manual osteopath, a registered kinesiologist, and part owner of Umana Health in Etobicoke. Today, we discuss her origin story in healthcare, what her osteopathy practice looks like, how to integrate well into an interprofessional clinic, and also how to find sanity and balance as a clinician. It's always fun talking to Laura, and there were some real gems in this conversation. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Laura Hughley. Laura, thanks so much for coming in early and uh, having a chat. I uh, appreciate the, the time. I know it's crazy getting kids out the door and making it in, you know, yep. so. Appreciate you taking the time. Um, Why don't we start by just giving the listeners a a basic sense of what your current role is, who you are, what you do, and and we'll we'll, we'll go from there. All right.
1: Um, So as you said, my name is Laura. Um, I am one of the partners here at Umana Health. You met uh, the original owner, I believe it was your last podcast, Mm -hmm. uh, Physio Felix. And um, my role here is a manual osteopath and registered kinesiologist. So not only do I get to be involved in a little bit of the business and management, but I'm also hands-on with all the the patients and um, part of the multidisciplinary team.
0: Cool. Um, so I thought it'd be it'd be helpful to start with kind of your origin story, and just what brought you into healthcare in the first place. Yeah. And. Yeah, so why don't we start there?
1: Alright, so really quickly growing up, I was always active, Um, I was a figure skater, played soccer, Um, I was a swim instructor and lifeguard, Um, so that's kind of where my uh, physical activity side came. And um, my mother's a nurse, my father was an engineer, Um, so that paints my little business healthcare side of things, and I started off my career going into kinesiology at York. And at that time you could really do two streams you could either go through the arts or you could go through the science and um, math is not my strong suit so I kind of gravitated actually a little bit more towards the arts which I loved and this is where I got to study really the sociology of health and Mm -hmm. behaviors and Mm -hmm. personality and so I really kind of got to bring in lifestyle into um, kinesiology and I've always been influenced by my own emotions, my friends, my surroundings, my parents. And so I really see how lifestyle affects our physical health. Mm-hmm. So that's really kind of where I started okay. um, with kinesiology. From there, um, <clears throat> I practiced as a kinesiologist, which I think was quite rare at the time. A lot of kin grads either went physio or Cairo. Mm-hmm. And because uh, kinesiology wasn't regulated at the time, it was just... A profession that a lot of people really didn't know about. Um, I was like, hmm. you know what, I'm going to stick with this and I'm going to kind of go forward and see what I can do. And that brought me to um, a multidisciplinary clinic, which is actually where I met Felix. So this uh-huh. is uh, over so 15 what, years ago now.
0: What year is that?
1: I met Felix in 2006. Seven, I believe. Oh, seven. Okay. Yeah.
0: So he was a new grad. Like he
1: was a new physio grad. New physio. Okay. And I had been in the kind of the physio PTA world for a couple years by the time I had met him. Um, but really, that's who kind of took me under his wing. And I started working really closely with him. Um, and the big emphasis there was really core strengthening. And so I kind of became this core and posture exercise expert and And it was fun, and it was great. And from there, I decided, you know what? I think I'm gonna try um, like big people world, and I'm gonna get a desk job, and and I'm gonna get a salary. And and so I ventured off, and I worked for an independent medical evaluation company, and I read medical or motor vehicle accident reports, and it was great. It wasn't for me at the end of the day, but it it really did give me perspective into the other side. I got to speak with a lot of other practitioners like neurologists and dentists and Mm. psychologists. Um, So it was a great experience, Um, but ultimately I had back pain and headaches because I was sitting at a desk all day and at that time um, Gmail chat was a thing. Okay. (laughs) So I was actually (laughs) chatting with Felix on Gmail chat I need to come see you. I have all this pain. He's like, no problem, came in. um, He's like, what happened? I'm like, well, I sit at a desk all day now. And he's like, you just have to start moving again. And that's pretty much what brought me back into um, clinical life was Mm -hmm. um, helping Felix out just twice a week with a patient and then staying afterwards and moving and exercising. And slowly I uh, gravitated back to Mm-hmm. Uh, working at the clinic with Felix and then at that time it was just uh, physio we had a massage therapist and myself
0: mm-hmm.
1: working out of a gym and uh, yeah had a lot of experience on the floor it was great I got to um, kind of expand on that core and posture uh, field that I loved um, but then I was kind of reaching a ceiling so I was I was burning out I was starting at 6 a.m. I was ending at close to 8 p.m. Mm. Um, I didn't have any restrictions at home. I didn't have any children. I wasn't in a relationship, so I could come and
0: Just burn yourself burn myself out Which is pretty
1: (laughs) much ultimately what I did because that was the only way I could make more money Mm -hmm. you were hourly and other than maybe bonuses here or there I kind of I had a ceiling Um, And that's really when I decided to look for a license Um, so I originally um, gravitated towards massage therapy And by this time I was in a relationship with my husband and we were trying to have children. And I said, if, you know, if nothing happens, I'm going to apply to massage therapy school. Mm -hmm. It's a one year program. I think we can handle it financially. I can work part time. Um, We'll just kind of push baby plans aside. And that was the go to plan. So found the school, gave my deposit, registered for everything. And a week later, we found out we were expecting. So that kind of took that whole massage therapy um, plan out. And um, that's when I started kind of moving towards osteopathy. So actually, Felix is the one who was like, hey, have you heard about this field? And Mm -hmm. I started doing a little bit of research. And I was able to complete it online, which for me at that time... um, this was probably a year later, so I had had a newborn. So you had had Riley. Yeah, I had Riley, so I had a newborn at home, and I was like, you know what, this is probably the best thing for me right now. So I Mm. dove in, and I did this online program, and went in and did a two-week practicum, and it was great. I learned a bunch of hands-on techniques, and here I am, Mm. manual osteopath.
0: Here you are. Yeah. Yeah, Um, and I guess you never really could have predicted ending up there. Starting from the kin degree at York, it was... No, yeah. no.
1: But even in my kin degree, I was always doing extra certification. So I did soft tissue. I did a pre and postnatal certification, mm-hmm. uh, working with seniors. I did all these extra add-ons, but because um, kinesiology just wasn't recognized the way the other yeah. therapies were, um, yeah, they were great on a resume and they looked nice, but they really weren't getting me any further in terms of my career or income. Mm-hmm. So really the next step was to kind of push towards, um, getting a license and taking my practice kind of to the next level.
0: Yeah. yeah. And so for somebody who isn't familiar with osteopathy, they've not, like, they've heard the word in passing, <laughs> but they have no idea what it is relative yep. to massage, chiro, physio. What's your elevator pitch as to what it is?
1: So my elevator pitch for my practice, because, um, Osteopathy is a regulated term, and it's very different throughout the world. So we have osteopathic practitioners in Europe and in the United States, which are basically medical doctors, and they're prescribing and writing diagnosis, and even in some cases, performing surgeries and whatnot. Not the case, obviously, here in (laughs) Canada. Um, So we are are called manual osteopaths. Um, And that is my approach, is very manual. And my elevator pitch, so to speak, is to... (sighs) Try and create as much relation relationship between structure and function so that you can go out and do whatever activity or movement that you need to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so trying to bring that body back into its most neutral position to allow it to self-heal, self-regulate, and kind of get back into its track that it should be in.
0: Mm-hmm. And has your... Practice like taking a lot of twists and turns since you got the osteo, since like since you were trained in osteopathy, have you had any big shifts in like the underlying framework of what guides your decision making, or have like have you been kind of like when you took the course this makes sense cool I'm gonna practice this way yeah or have you found things like evolve a lot along the way I'm it just definitely... curious.
1: Evolved, especially during COVID as well. So Mm -hmm. what I've really noticed is what I would refer to as barriers to the physical, and that's our nervous system. And Mm -hmm. people just coming in and they are so wired and so fired, and that's often even a barrier out on the gym floor. Mm -hmm. Someone might just be talking nonstop too, that they're either not listening to the instruction, they're not doing the exercise, they're obviously distracted and doing something else. Mm -hmm. Even though... They have the best of intentions of coming in here to fix their shoulder or their knee or whatnot. Um, But I've really noticed that trying to um, calm that system and let people feel that they have availability and movement Mm -hmm. without having to almost do it themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of guarding. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of pain thought and so if I can kind of take that shoulder through a range of motion for you it, it translates out onto the gym floor a lot better because we've kind of eliminated that that pain thought or that guarding or that right. um just that nervousness even that a lot of people have coming in here
0: yeah and it, it's so interesting because there's a lot of there's so much debate these days online about manual therapy versus exercise and all this stuff but I guess the thing I like about your practice is, ultimately, it's always driving towards um, facilitating independence and getting somebody back to doing what they want to do, and there's, there are many roads to Rome to do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? like and, and also, one of the interesting things we see in the research is that consistently, when we ask patients what they actually want from a practitioner, therapeutic touch is one of the consistently mentioned elements yes. that patients value. yeah. And, and so, like, you're so right. If you put that person's uh, shoulder through a range of motion where your hands are there, giving them that sense of safety, yeah. like, that might give them permission to then be able to do it themselves. So I think we often dichotomize this. Well, if it's manual therapy, it's it's not empowering the patient. Yeah. But I, I don't think it needs to be that binary no, distinction.
1: It, it's very much, I mean, even if you look at the body, I know we were kind of touching on this yesterday um, in conversation, but we're just a... a network of so many different um, levers, slings, communication pathways, and whatnot, and you, you kind of have to tackle all of those if we want to get <clears throat> to a common goal. So, you know, that kind of cliche comparison of uh, body to car, mm-hmm. right? At the end of the day, the car is meant to drive, right? It's not meant to just sit in a lot. Um, yeah. It's meant to, to transport, Mm-hmm. Um, it can go to a body shop and we can do oil changes and tire rotation. So there is manual work that needs to go into that vehicle. Mm. But the ultimate goal is to get that car driving and moving. So I'm very much supplementing movement.
0: Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's why it's so great about the clinic here at, at, at Umana is that we have... Something for everybody, depending on where they are in their yeah. kind of pathway towards independence. Yeah, and if somebody, like I have clients where they're just so wired and jacked up, and and like they're, they're just, the issue is probably more of a a, a central nervous system mm-hmm. issue um, in terms of they're just sensitized, they're stressed, yeah. and sometimes hands-on work. Is a better way to to wind that down, yeah. um, and I'm like, it's it's not what I specialize in, but that's why we have people here who do that. Exactly. So, you know, whereas when somebody comes in, they're like, "Okay, I want to tweak my deadlift," then you send them out there. But when yeah. somebody's like, "I really need to wind down," like, yeah. <laughs> Laura is the person for that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, and
1: I, I think you're right. Like, I love touch. I I've always loved touch. I've always said, even when I've worked with practitioners and they've come to you know, pinpoint where I need to work on a, a patient. i I always like, oh, where, where's that point again? Like I, everyone kind of loves that touch. And so that's also why I gravitated to osteopathy was what I like as a, as a person as well. I love being out on the gym floor and movement, but I also just love that calmness of being put through movement mm-hmm. when I don't have to do anything.
0: Yeah, yeah, 100%. It's very calming. Um, it is, yeah. Right? And like we're recording this in your in your treatment room, which just has <laughs> such a lovely, a lovely vibe. Like it's so relaxing. We, we really need to deck out the physio room in a, yeah. in a more...
1: You uh, need some more hygge.
0: need some more hygge. Why yeah. don't you tell us what the hygge is? This would So be a...
1: <laughs> um, a friend of mine gave me this book. It's The Little Book of Hygge. And it's um, based on kind of the Danish way of living. And they're kind of the happiest people. Um, And it's creating calmness and just awareness. And so even in here, little caves of light, um, there's usually just music. There's plants in here. But it's a safe place, um, I think. And that's the environment that I like to kind of give off is when people come in here. It is a safe place to vent, to let go. Um, You know, everything that happens in here stays in here. So oftentimes this is a a place that people can just kind of unwind and unleash also and uh, some of the stuff we talk about is definitely maybe beyond scope of practice that i can offer any therapeutic advice or help but sometimes just being able to talk to an unbiased person or yeah let it all out is really therapeutic and then when i do send them out of here they can focus on what they're doing on the gym floor or with another practitioner because they've kind of let it out here so it's all it's all steps to a big picture
0: yeah and I think it's like we were talking about this earlier but it's such an important point um, that we forget what it's like to go into a a medical office as somebody who doesn't do that on Mm -hmm. a daily basis like I come in I sit down at my desk somebody comes in for an assessment they've gotten in their car they've driven to a like this building that they had to find they come in they have to like talk to this new person and then you know, you, you want to make them feel as comfortable as possible to let their guard down. Because yeah. ultimately, we, we know that's critical to allow somebody to open up. Yeah. And then in order, if we're trying to do an intervention, if they're stressed mm-hmm. and they're just worried about like, oh my goodness, this is all these horrible lights and yeah. like, <laughs> Yeah, it's, um, yeah, th- those kind of non, those contextual factors around <clears throat> what we yeah. do, independent of what the actual treatment is, yeah. just how comfortable does somebody feel in the environment?
1: And those are things we can, we can kind of, you know, play with their sensory system as soon as they walk in here. Mm-hmm. So whether that's uh, lighting or plants or, um, I mean, we have really nice wood doors, which just create calmness and in, in themselves, um, you can create that calmness and kind of calm the nervous system, even just through environmental and ambiance and and, yeah. yeah.
0: And it's, it's so interesting how every medical office, like going to like a walk-in clinic, they all tend to look exactly the same. And you yeah. just feel like you want to get out of there yep. <laughs> as soon as you possibly can. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's not a place you want to spend time. and like No. As, and as, it's, yeah. that's
1: exactly what it is. It's sick care, right? You go in, you're sick, you kind of get what you need to do and, and you leave. And this is, I don't know, I, I've always kind of viewed multidisciplinary as, as health care mm-hmm. and maintenance, preventative. Um, rehab treatment and so it is there's a space for kind of treating everything mind body spirit soul um, within a multidisciplinary clinic
0: right so maybe this is a good segue to talk a little bit about um, the nuances and challenges and benefits of having a multidisciplinary clinic because if you like for me if i were to work in a practice where everybody was like me you know carbon copies of leo that's, it provides some benefits because we're on the same page in terms of what we know and our background and our training and the lens through which we view patients. Um, but it also kind of blinds me to maybe areas that I'm not uh, equipped to deal with as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe I'll ask you, like, what ha- have there been challenges to working with, with individuals of totally diverse skill sets that you've come across?
1: Or has it all been Um, positive? I wouldn't say like diverse skill sets, but I think it really comes down to just the personality and Mm. that team approach um, and trusting your practitioners. And I think understanding that it is very multi-level. Someone could be coming in, let's say, with a, a shoulder complaint. But if we find something else along the way that's also restricting that shoulder or it might not even be on our radar if we're only having one practitioner look at it. Mm-hmm. Um so I think there is benefit to having everybody in, but you have to be open as well to kind of looking at the big picture because the body is a big picture. Yeah. Right? So yeah. it's I wouldn't say skill set, but if if you are a practitioner that does kind of like to work independently, mm-hmm. um I don't know if that's the best approach here yeah Um, for sure because our bodies are not like that
0: yeah and like to be candid i I wasn't sure i'm kind of a lone wolf type of person in a sense and when i first started here and you guys were like going on about this like interdisciplinary thing and how we're always referring back and forth and i was like okay like maybe this could work but you know i i very much like to uh just have i have my own view of things and Um, I wasn't sure how it would go, honestly. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's been so nice because I never feel like I'm treating on an island. Like, if I have a tough case, there's always somebody that I can say, you know what, let's send you over to Laura or Jason or Dr. John and get a second set of eyes on this. And and I think there's, you have to kind of drop the ego that you have to be the best person for everyone. Like, we have this idea, or at least I did when I graduated, that... Um, you have to kind of be all things to all people yeah. and be the expert in you know sports injuries and also postpartum and also yeah. you know like whiplash and headache and yeah. like, do you know what I mean like you don't have to be an expert in all things you just have to know I think you have to be self aware as to what your strengths are yes and then you can work well within a team and that's what I've found here is like I, I just like I wouldn't have it any other way it's, yeah I'm so good
1: if you go back uh, a couple of months ago we had a staff meeting and I brought that puzzle out yeah. Um, and that was based on a book I had read, uh, it's not how, but who, and there's that old kind of cliche saying, like one of the most important things is to know what you don't know.
0: Yeah.
1: And that's really important here because I don't know everything. Mm-hmm. I don't know physiotherapy, massage therapy, chiropractic. That's mm-hmm. not my discipline. Um, do I know when to pass off and to refer for the most part? Yes. Yeah. Um, but that puzzle analogy is really what we are as a multidisciplinary team—is we're all going to come to finish this big picture, and we might not also be just treating one thing. Um, patients yeah. might open up to practitioners about different areas. Um, we might stumble upon different things as we're treating. You know, sometimes I get people in here, and it's like, "Do you are you clenching? Are you are you really grinding your teeth lately?" Oh, I didn't even notice I was doing this. So. It it really kind of opens um, the box to full body treatment, which at the end of the day is how that shoulder or that knee or that hip or that back is going to work.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think that when we think about that kind of holistic aspect of things, there is the danger of drawing um, relations that don't exist. Like, oh, your back pain is due to your ankle or whatever, but... So like you know because in school there was always this idea that you got to look above and below the injury yeah, makes yeah, sense yeah right uh, and as practitioners that that is important um, but at this so at the same time like for me I'm always thinking I'm gonna look at your knee if your knee hurts but like you know we can address other stuff like yeah. you don't your knee doesn't exist in a vacuum right um, and. And and that's where getting people's opinions on these things and and be able, being able to have candid discussions about it, even if you have different lenses, mm-hmm. I guess, yeah, um, is helpful because, you know, there could you just we're we're blind to our own biases by definition, right? It's, Absolutely. Um, so yeah, you you, you got to have that community to to bounce ideas off of for
1: sure. And you learn off yeah. one another, which is the most important, I think. Like if you're yeah. if you are kind of working in that lone wolf type of mentality like you're you don't have like we have mentors everywhere like that's how i view this whole team is we're all mentors to one another and Mm -hmm. it's wonderful because you don't know something someone else might or they're going to help you figure it out or you're going to figure it out together you know and and that's what's really exciting sometimes when you get these complex cases and we get to kind of tackle it as a team and yeah you know you get to see patients progress and kind of tackle um, a lot of the issues that they came in with
0: yeah and if I could give it a a piece of advice to any like new grad physio who's listening the sooner that you can get used to having get comfortable having conversations where you can be like you're comfortable showing where your knowledge gaps are with other practitioners Mm -hmm. the better right because that's an opportunity to to learn and um, if nothing else, it just keeps you aware of whether you're the right person to be seeing somebody. Yeah. You don't have to be for every single person. Right. right. No, like, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, like at first, even with like our chiropractor, Dr. John, I was, you'd get these little pieces of anxiety that would it would creep in when you're having these conversations. Like, what's he thinking about my impression about this patient? Am I totally off base? But yeah, like the quicker you can get used to having those conversations, the, the better you'll get at them.
1: For sure and I mean you, you have to keep in in the back of your head like when you do an assessment on a patient and I do it the next day and Dr. John does it the next day we're seeing that person on three different days yeah. they're gonna also relate to us in three different ways so we're gonna have three different impressions. Mm-hmm. A lot of that is gonna overlap and we're gonna have a lot of probably similar findings but it's yeah. also the way we approach it and what we're looking at um, from a physio, massage, chiro, osteo perspective. So
0: Mhm. Yeah, and I mean even if five different physios would probably have five different impressions exactly. for a patient. Exactly. Exactly. Which is part of me feels is like I wish we had a standard of care to yeah. some degree. Yeah. But then also there are many roads to Rome and we have lots of options and we treat people. So it's um i don't think it's as black and white as we'd like to think when we're in school it's like there's one right answer for how to get somebody better right yeah. there's we don't really understand what the mediators to recovery are right and a lot of them are maybe more psychological than we thought yep. um a lot of really fascinating research coming out on people getting better from say shoulder pain but not actually getting stronger mm-hmm. in terms of force output when they right. when they measure that right. variable and it's like what happened there well It was the act of strengthening might have improved their self-efficacy their confidence their sense of security and safety in the shoulder was it the force output that we added well no not always yeah yeah, you know so there's we got to be humble about
1: yes i agree
0: about why what we do works and how it works
1: yeah i agree completely
0: um so why don't we pivot to another topic that we've been discussing a bit over the last couple weeks and that's how to stay like moderately sane as a clinician, because we have a tough job, like we're uh, for, you know, seven to 10 hours a day, whatever it is,
1: mm-hmm.
0: people are pouring out really vulnerable pieces of their life to us, yeah. and it, it, can, it can weigh on you, if you get a, like multiple patients per day that
1: yeah.
0: break out into tears, and, yeah, uh, and just, and just the, the, att- the level of attention that requires can really weigh on you as a practitioner. Um, what, uh, what strategy, like, how do you stay sane? Or do you stay sane as somebody who works as a clinician?
1: <laughs> I like uh, organized chaos to describe my life. Um, <laughs> but my social media, media handles Balanced by Laura. Mm-hmm. And it's really about trying to live a balanced life. Um, because life is good, the bad, and the ugly. And there's going to be good days, there's going to be bad days. There's going to be days that you're just not in the mood sometimes you just wake up in a bad mood and that's how you feel um there's days you come in where we're you know booked solid with patients there's other days where your schedule is completely empty so I think it's taking advantage of those valleys and whether that's self-care whether that's reflecting on how to get back up um whether it's patient recall, whether it's just sitting and having a conversation similar to this, whatever it's going to take to kind of light that fire to get you back up. But I I do think we need those downtimes. I like transition. I like change. I think that's how our bodies work. We're always adapting. We're always changing. You know, the best posture is your next posture. So we should never be kind of stagnant anyways, right? We need to constantly be... Adapting and reflecting because if you were busy all the time What, what would you be reflecting on like I, I life would yeah. probably be quite boring I would think
0: yeah, no, and I agree It's tough though like those Those slow months like January February. Yeah, um, which are typically the slow times for us It's difficult not to just feel Anxiety and dread and whether that's related to finances or yeah, whatever it is Um it's a real skill I guess to be able to leverage that in a positive way yeah and and use that time to recharge and like restore your your battery
1: it is and I, I think um, healthcare practitioners are are a certain breed because when we are in that kind of lull I still don't think the practitioners I've worked with that the focus is on us like I'm not busy my like of course finances is in the back of my head but now we're like, how do we get patients back in? Who haven't I seen? Who's fallen off the treatment plan? What mm-hmm. program can we put out there to the community to get people in? How can we promote wellness? Like we're still always about the community or about the patient, mm-hmm. um, which I think is probably the biggest um, thing working against therapists is we're always out for everybody else, and I don't yeah. think we give ourselves enough. Self-care, and I don't think we all practice what we preach for the most part. No. Um, and that's when you do get kind of the burnout and, and whatnot. So um, kind of going back to your question, what do I do? I come in here at 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> it's the only time I have to myself. Um, yeah. It's quiet. The coffee's hot. Um, <laughs> but it, it's my, you know, 45 minutes just to, to either work out or reflect on the day or just whatever I need to get through that 10-hour day that we work.
0: Now, what time do you go to bed when you get up at 5.30? I'm in bed,
1: like, between 9 and 10. Okay. Easily.
0: Yeah. So, clearly, you need less sleep than I do. (laughs) Yeah. For me, if I was to get in here at 5.30, I think I'd be, like, an absolute zombie by noon, but... Hey, we're all wired a little differently.
1: Yeah, I think uh, having kids, just like you get <laughs> yeah. used to the sleep deprivation, it just kind of becomes a little bit of a norm True. that you can function on just a little bit less. Um, but yeah, my days in the morning, you know, it's, it's hard. If I have to go out at night, it's, it's yeah. kind of a mission too. So it's really just where you want that chunk of day. So mine just happens to kind of be that early shift. Yeah. Um, but that's what I have to do to create balance in my life because I'm not gonna do it at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, and I think everybody everybody's different, but like one of the things that is is key that you pointed out is that like we're always focused on on our patients and like for me personally I if I can do something that's totally unrelated to physio, like once a day.
1: Yeah.
0: It, whether it's in the evening, like whatever it is, just something where I'm not because I'm like a compulsive continuing education junkie like i'm always reading and taking courses yeah. and it's not healthy to sustain that like that same um pace for mm-hmm. a full year like you like you said you, you need times where you where you check out and yeah. like, whether that looks like waking up early and just having time to yourself here or like
1: yeah your brain's got to go down another pathway those those yeah. nerves have to fire in a different way because you yeah. know nerves that fire together wire together or wire together <laughs> fire together but we have to keep kind of creating change and transition to keep yeah. to keep us sane or else i don't know i just feel like you'd kind of go down a rabbit hole and
0: yeah and you and your patients suffer for it because like what i have found is you know like let's say i have somebody coming in new patient condition that i don't know a ton about right am i better off to spend the night before cramming researching everything i can about that condition or am I better off just like having a good sleep yeah. and going for a walk in the morning and yeah. like feeling like a human when they see me? Yeah. Like I found that honestly, regardless of your knowledge base, if you're if you're mentally not present because you're you haven't taken care of yourself, mm-hmm. I'm well. I'm useless to the Huge. patient. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's everything. Managing your energy is just yeah. like it's half the battle.
1: You, you, yeah. Yeah, and you think okay, so for example, that patient comes in and they're so. I don't know wired and flustered pain like maybe they just need to go for a walk and maybe that's a great little piece of advice because I think the more we even experience as people make us better practitioners um a little bit of tidbit information I always kind of give my patients is when it comes to bed sleeping I tend to sleep on the same side of the bed all the time Mm -hmm. um if I go to a hotel though I'll sleep on the other side of the bed it's I tend to sleep on the side I guess closest to the door or, or to the bathroom, mm. and so now with my husband, I make us switch beds every or sorry switch sides of the bed um, every daylight savings, oh, just so I sleep on a different side because it's not that I'm more comfortable on my right side. It's just that's the way the door is, <laughs> and so you know we think about prolonged sitting or prolonged standing or people flip their mattresses all the time. I'm like let's just switch it up like sleep on the other side of the bed. Like, let's change your body up. Balanced and by Laura. <laughs> exactly. That's that's what it is. But you, when you practice these little things in life, too, that you kind of like, oh, my goodness, something as simple as, you know, switching the sides of the bed or carrying my purse on another side versus my right side or, yeah, you know, trying to sit straight and not cross my legs. These are all little things that kind of add up and add up and they start well, to make a difference.
0: It's so interesting how easy it is to forget about the basics yeah like wait you know somebody comes in with knee pain and we're asking them about their sporting history whatever um sometimes it's like the, the patient will say in passing like on the second appointment oh well i always like sit with my knee in this crazy position. Yeah. It kind of hurts when I do that. I'm yeah. like, okay, well, here I am, like, strengthening all these areas. Like, just don't sit like that.
1: Exactly. Do you know
0: what I mean? Like, we, we need... To,
1: like, yeah, like, a lot of the just time the basics, it is what right? we're doing. And I've used this analogy for years, but I said, you know, if every time we do something kind of detrimental on the body and we have a jar and you put a jelly bean in that jar, like, we're really not going to notice until that jar is now overflowing. So you could be putting jelly beans in that jar for 30 years and finally that last one that makes it overflow is like oh man and all of a sudden I bent over to put my sock on and my back threw out well that's not what happened because we have 30 years of kind of all of the, this pattern that we've done that now mm. we have to kind of unwind um it's, so it's, but
0: it's tricky because eh? there are people that can just keep throwing jelly beans in the jar and it yeah. never overflows so True. that's that's the issue yeah like, they're I leaking wish
1: at the bottom at the same time well. <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh uh, but it it is interesting because i said you know just as much as we kind of add on and get to an issue we need to now kind of take away as well right so if we can do these little changes daily Mm -hmm. they're going to make a difference just as much as sitting poorly for all of this time added up and added up yeah
0: i I mean i had a patient recently with back pain who like we tried a lot of biomechanical interventions and trying to get her to change positions more often throughout the day and we'd done some manual stuff and we'd thrown a lot at it um and ultimately what we decided was like our our next treatment strategy was before work she was just going to get up and like just open the door and like look outside and just get some blue light in the morning yeah um go maybe just get a tiny bit of movement Yeah. like simple things like this like like we're not that different from plants you know like we need we need basic conditions we need light we need food exactly we need social interaction yeah we need to
1: be upright we need to be extended we need to be able to see things
0: we need to we need to we need variability in our our movement and you know like taking the holistic view of the person um you can't like we often are so myopic about oh well your tibia is not rotating x amount of degree well it's like do you go outside at all during your work week?
1: Yeah, right. Like,
0: <laughs> when's the time you talk to a friend or do yeah. anything fun? Yeah, it's Like, so these true. things can be treatment Yeah, and stuff that we chart about even though we're, are, you know, we're, are, we're trained to just focus on these biomechanical minutiae.
1: Yeah, but, and you can still focus on those but you need to know what's affecting it, right? Yeah. So, uh, like, one question I always ask is how's your mood? And that's kind of like an overloaded question right now. Yeah. And some people are like, it sucks. It's horrible. Like, I... I can't find any motivation to do this 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 and this and then you're like well no wonder like you're also in discomfort and and pain because if you can't find motivation to even come to exercise but then also your your system's firing right yeah. it's a, obviously you're going to be in pain
0: yeah and, and when, when we talk about mood like one of my favorite examples is people who, say, have pain, like, throughout the day, but then they can go out dancing. And, like, you know, the DJ's, like, spinning, they're having a good time, endorphins are flowing. Oh, my knee was fine, actually. Do you know what I mean? Whereas in the gym, when I'm thinking about all my, how my my knees are working when I'm squatting, oh, it hurts, it hurts, it hurts. But I can be, like, (laughs) you know, crushing on the dance floor. Yeah. I'm just fine. So So
1: that's exactly what I mean, is it's not black and white. It's not knee pain this treatment it's it's you've got to kind of look at the whole picture and why are they even complaining about knee pain when they're in the gym then yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a whole other topic maybe it's just you know pain thought and it's all yeah. neuroplasticity and just my knee hurts because i walked in those doors
0: yeah and we know people get hypervigilant on their pain and yeah it's um it, well one of my favorite one of my favorite examples again is like playing sports. When when you're winning, the treatment room's way less full after the game. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. if you've had a if you just won a championship, I can't even feel my sprained ankle, which is like otherwise would be an eight out of ten pain. Yeah. Yeah. But if you just lost, it's like okay. Yeah. Those negative emotions kind of drive that. You need reason too to have and,
1: those. Like people want to have yeah. um, like a reason or justification for negative. Feelings, or mm. I lost because I wasn't up to par because my calf was tight. Mm. There's got to be kind of an explanation. People don't like to be disappointed.
0: Yeah, interesting. Yeah, right? got to keep the big picture in mind. I guess is yes what I always have to remind myself. Big time. Yeah, big
1: time. And and what's the big picture for that patient? Yeah. Right. If it's,
0: I guess if you ask them, they'll usually tell you. Yeah. But if you just focus on their specific, you know issue maybe, yeah. maybe they won't so yeah. maybe it's as simple as just having that lens to allow them to mm-hmm. you know tell you what are we actually doing here what's what are we working towards exactly. like, why it's, it's not just your knee pain but it's like oh well I, I can't do x because of my knee pain it's, right I can't kneel on the floor and play with my grandkid or, right
1: like I'm like, covering that and, and, yeah and that's kind of I, I feel like that's where we really connect with our patients is when we find out that they're like daily life is being affected. Um, it's kind of a different approach from, for me, anyways. With let's say athletics, because when I hear someone can't, you know, garden or has difficulty even just putting groceries away, like that, just speaks differently to me than um, an athlete who yeah. um, can still perform at a high level. But you know, we're dealing with a little a little injury here. Um, but those are the those are the patients that I really. Yeah. Relate to as well, and you've done a great job as well, being able to kind of really be empathetic with these patients and just I think people just want acknowledgement. Yeah, it's, uh, we can't fix everything, we're not miracle workers. But I'm gonna acknowledge that you're in a lot of pain, and that goes a long way with people. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, no, it does. It, it's interesting, like when I was in school, in PT school, in that world, treating athletes is really glorified as. Getting to the top of the mountain, like being a sports physiotherapist on a pro team, and you know while that's really interesting and um, there's a lot of technical skill that's involved, um, I personally find it more fulfilling almost to work with that person with chronic low back pain or that person with neo N- neo a, yeah, um, who just can't do the basic the basics, yeah, because there's just so much low hanging fruit there where like it.
1: There is, and you're yeah. also working with a very different person because an yeah. athlete is going to be very, I would think, compliant, and they, they're going to work with you because they really want to get better. Where you mm-hmm. have a lot of other barriers with someone um, with all those low-hanging fruit because it, it seems easy, but it's very difficult for these people. Yeah. So finding a way to get them to reach that low-hanging fruit is sometimes really satisfying yeah. when you can do it. And yeah. it might be very, you know, low level and it might be just a small baby step. But that baby step is, I don't know, such a huge yeah. um, accomplishment versus maybe an athlete.
0: Yeah. No, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, um, it seems simple, I guess, to say like, okay, we're, our goal is we're going to walk 10 minutes a day yeah. instead of five yeah. for this week. But that that's such a... That's such a huge win for that person's overall health and their future health. And when yeah. you think about our healthcare system, it's like think of the falls that we're preventing and the yeah,
1: exactly the strain
0: on, on yeah. our on our system. So and just the suffering with for those people. Whereas I mean, I was an athlete. You get banged up. Like it's whatever. Yeah. Like yeah. But it's that matters too. But yeah, it's, it's a, a different, different lifestyle,
1: yeah. and that's really the clientele we have here: people who want to better their their life. Like, of course, we've got, we've got. The athletes in here as well, but I love that we have a population of people who just want to take care of their bodies yeah. um, from every perspective, whether it's um, a want perspective <laughs> or a need perspective, right? Yeah. But it's it's they're coming in here looking for wellness for their body, and and I think we are. We're kind of that body shop, yeah. right? You you kind of compare, I know you guys talked with Felix about a tune-up. Um, mm-hmm. And that is what people come here for. We're kind of a body shop for your, for your body to make sure it's going to hang out with you for as long as, as possible, right?
0: Yeah, I know you're stuck with it. For, yeah, you're stuck far with as, it. Far as and, as we know. And for if we now. can
1: prevent exactly all of these falls and, and overloading the medical system and whatnot. Yeah.
0: Um, well, and the crazy beliefs people come in here with where sometimes somebody comes in for an assessment and they're, just, they're so scared to move and all I need to say is, mm-hmm. it's fine, Like, yeah. get after it and then yep. they're good to go. Yep. And sometimes it's, it's that simple, but the impact on that person's life like, you, can be huge. For so, sure, for sure. Yeah. So
1: it's 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 very satisfying as a therapist knowing we have this impact yeah. on our clientele, which just goes way beyond just physical.
0: Yeah. Well, that seems like a good place to maybe stop. I have a client coming in in like two minutes. So, All right. Um, anything else you want to add anywhere that people can can find you online if they're curious yeah
1: i'm balanced by laura on instagram facebook tiktok um you'll find me on the humana health website and i think that's about it
0: awesome yeah okay well i appreciate the time
1: thanks leo this was great
0: thank you so much for listening to the paradox pt podcast as laura mentioned her instagram handle is at balanced by laura and you can reach me on instagram at leo physio as i'm competing with these birds that are aggressively chirping right now spring is spring has sprung um as always thank you for listening and feel free to reach out if you have any questions or comments we will see you on the next one